It takes more than a great consensus algorithm to be a great software engineer. This is episode 86 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software engineers and, as we've come to find out recently, other engineers who are interested, uh, for whatever reason, in the banter and the fun and the wisdom that Jameson gives. I, I think it doesn't take more than a great consensus algorithm. I disagree. You think a great consensus algorithm is the only requirement to being a great yeah. engineer? That was a really bad joke about consensus. No. <laughs> <laughs> I completely missed it. Oh, I, I wonder if you could, it. can you make a joke so bad that it underflows to a good joke? That's what puns are basically, right? <laughs> underflows to a good joke. I think that's what puns are. Okay. We do have a story from an aerospace engineer, which I will read. Uh, dear you guys, I think that's the collective noun <laughs> for for Dave and Jameson. Yeah. Dear you guys, I wanted to share a positive HR experience that I had. I graduated at the end of 2015 and interviewed for a manufacturing engineer position at a big aerospace company. I walked away from this interview thinking that I was going to be creating manufacturing plans and writing production guides for fabrication. Not ideal, but it was a paycheck at a respectable company. My first week there was really cool. The highlight of that week was a rocket blowing up outside my office and hoping no one was dead. Wow. That's a weird <laughs> definition of cool, but I'm glad no one was dead. From there on out, it was a slow descent into misery and darkness. By the end of my second week, I realized that I was not an engineer and I was not in an engineering department. I was a full-on technical writer. The people Ooh. that I worked with were great, but I went to school to be an engineer and just felt a bit misled. I decided that I would stay for a year and then try to move somewhere else in the company. And I told my manager. For months after that, I was basically given nothing to do. My mentor in another department gave me some CAD, uh, which stands for computer-aided design assignments, which I loved. A little while later, my supervisor told me that the CAD assignments were not going to happen because I needed to be giving those hours to my manager's department to use their budget. My manager said that CAD was a useless toy. Ooh. The finale of Burn. this tirade was, <laughs> was when it was implied that continuing to do these CAD assignments would compromise my job security. Then I made an appointment with HR and fired up the old resume. I didn't go to HR to throw anyone under the bus. I just told the woman that the position was not a good fit. HR was really helpful and assured me that the CAD assignments were encouraged. I also went to talk to my mentor and let him know that I was applying for positions outside the company. He was the only person who I told the full story to and he began pulling for me to come to his team. Suddenly I had all these people between my mentor, his manager, and HR being really helpful and checking in on me while I waited for a position to open up. It took a few months, but I finally switched teams with a raise. HR played a big part in setting this all up. As a result, I now have a pretty baller job as a design engineer in a really cool industry. Well, look at that. HR saved the day. Awesome. I like that good HR story. It seems like everything worked out for the best. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to quit your job. You got to stay at your, well, I mean, you switched teams, but you didn't quit companies. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Good work. All right. Well, should I read our first question? Please do. Okay, this comes from listener Arthur, who says, love the show, but, that's but with four U's, <laughs> but can you please explain why you guys promote salary and info sharing, but did not share your own? Even if you shared your previous job salaries with location and position included, of course, it would be very helpful to the many developers out there who are not informed on salaries. My first job actually illegally told us that we can't share salary, and it brainwashed many developers there. I am so glad that a good couple years later, a dev shared their salary to, with me, and I realized it should not be taboo. 
The negotiation advice you give would mean a lot more if you said actual figures, like I asked for a raise when I was making 80K and got an 8K raise, as an example. All right, Arthur, thanks for the question. I think if but has that many use, you pronounce it as boot, right? Boot. Boot. (laughs) Every U needs to be pronounced. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a good question. We have talked about sharing salary. I share salaries privately i don't think i ever have publicly though no that's not something i've tweeted (laughs) (laughs) next time you leave your computer unattended i'm just gonna go tweet (laughs) salary information from your account (laughs) that would be awesome especially since you don't know my salary (laughs) (laughs) yeah it'll i'll guess though yeah i've I've shared it privately with with i don't know how many people maybe like 30 people over the course of my career that's a lot more than i would have expected it, it actually happened a lot more once I became a contractor and people wanted to know oh, how much I charged. Of course. Well, you have to share it at that point. Well, no, I mean, I mean, other developers, not clients. Oh, my bad. Okay. So, um, so you share. <laughs> I don't tell my clients how much I charge. I just, <laughs> I just send them a bill. Yeah. And it's obfuscated. So they can't even tell how many hours you worked. <laughs> uh, actually we're laughing, but that's, that's how a lot of consultants work. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, I tell them how much I charge. Uh but but people who wanted to get into consulting talk to me a lot about it. Um and and some of them I know pretty well, some of them I don't know that well, but I I know all of them in some context and it's always been private. I have contributed to a couple anonymous salary surveys as well, sure, but I've never sure. just told the world, "I am Jameson Dance and I work here and I make this much." And I approve this message. Yeah. <laughs> I have, uh, I think I've shared my salary with, I can think of five people in the last 15 years. Really? Yeah. It's a very, it's a lot smaller number. Yeah, it's than a select you. group. How many people have you shared your salary with outside of your consulting rate? Uh, it's probably like 15. It's definitely more than five. Oh, okay. You've been quite open with it compared to me. Yeah, I think part of it is I, I worry that some people are getting taken advantage of, so I'll kind of approach them. And tell mm-hmm. them we should we should do the salary game and swap information, um, and and to build trust, I feel like I need to share oh, right. information. So it's kind of more of an altruistic outreach for you than it is trying to. Man, that makes me sound insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> really, Dave, everything I do is altruistic. <laughs> hey, buddy, I have a sense that maybe you're severely underpaid. Let me tell you how much I'm making. Yeah, let me descend from the heights of my golden throne. <laughs> Show you peons how it could be. I, I think I've done it more out of feeling like someone is disadvantaged than out of wondering if I am making less than I should. Mm-hmm. But it's like one third to two thirds. Um, so I, I definitely have talked to people who I think like, you You seem like you make a lot of money. How much should I make? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not all been me trying to save these poor underpaid souls. Well, um, having said that, should we get to the nitty gritty? What's the nitty gritty? The numbers. Oh, the numbers. The the brass tacks. Uh, you can share numbers. I don't know if I want to publicly. Okay, I'll I'll tell you what. I will go back to the beginning of my profession as a full time software engineer, and I'll give some details that might help set completely irrelevant yet specific (laughs) information. So I graduated with a CS degree in 2003. My starting salary out of college 
was $49,000 in Salt Lake City, Utah. So Jameson's feverishly making notes. <laughs> I'm I'm looking up the inflation calculator. I'm trying oh, to yeah. find out how many $2017 that is. Good idea. That is $66,518. Oh, really? oh, 66. Okay. That's very interesting. Very interesting. So um, at the time, just for a little context, this was right on the heels of the dot-com bust, which some of our younger audience may not have heard of. It has come to my attention recently that people under the age of, say, 28 don't remember the dot-com bust hmm. because they were like 11 <laughs> when it happened. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it was actually very hard to find a job as a software engineer back then. When I got my first job out of college, I was one of three people that were hired for a position and there were 200 people who interviewed for the position. Nowadays, you, uh, it's like the opposite, right? Like there will be 200 open positions and only three people interviewing. Yeah. But anyway, that gives you a little sense for why maybe that number seems low to you. Um, also, I was a terrible interviewer. So, <laughs> actually, that's not true. I think I was a pretty okayish interviewer. I brought yeah. a, a little uh, plushy, no, a little like uh, uh, what's that? What are those um, chew toys or like squeezy toys called that make? I a thought you were going to say an anime body pillow. <laughs> no. To my first interview, I brought a little. I brought my waifu. A little uh, Linux penguin, Tux. To my first interview because the job description said Linux skills were needed and I was just I, my plan was to whip out that Linux penguin to be like look I'm totally into Linux <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan you can see that my interviewing <laughs> skills were impressive yes well you were memorable I'm sure I didn't that I helped. didn't pull out the penguin I left it in the pocket oh that but, yeah. maybe that was more awkward because then someone <laughs> saw like this large I, I don't know like does he have like an apple in his pocket or <laughs> what's going on <laughs> so uh fast forward or, to or sorry even weirder if they saw a penguin in your pocket yeah. like why, why does this guy just I, have a penguin i wore a suit coat him? and i put it in my breast pocket too so it was like right at you know it wasn't even hidden under the desk it was like right there so okay it was probably a little weird <laughs> yeah well you stuck out Yep, literally. <laughs> okay, anyway, so uh, fast forward 2005, uh, still in Salt Lake City, Utah, making about 60000 at this point. And then fast forward to 2010, uh, still in Salt Lake City, Utah, making about um, 100000 So, which, was, which is a pretty typical trajectory for engineers these days. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, seven or eight years, salary doubled, but also the industry recovered from a massive recovery uh, technology tech sector recession so don't forget sure. that so that that growth you know seven years doubling is probably unusual today because the tech sector is already growing massively but then again maybe not because the growth has just been a non-stop roll you know train ride just accelerating more and more it seems oh you're saying you're saying you wouldn't expect the salary to double well, because it would already be higher at the beginning yeah that, that's what i was thinking but then again like as i was saying it i was second guessing myself because the industry has just improved and improved and improved so much um that maybe i'm wrong about that you know i started on a low point and by 2010 the industry had more than recovered and was going at a fever pace but now it hasn't really slowed down so yeah so i don't even know yeah hmm. there you go Interesting. 
Okay, so my career is a lot younger than yours. Uh, I notice you have not shared any salary information for the last seven years. That's right. Which is the the length of my professional career. <laughs> <laughs> um, I call those the dark ages where no information shall be disclosed. The dark ages before Jameson joined and when, brought the light. I, I was thinking maybe you brought the dark, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, yeah, you're right. That is, yeah. Why, why don't you share more recent salary information? Well, I just, I'm just not comfortable with it. And I don't really know. Uh, I don't know why exactly, but I'm not. Um, I'm not either. And I don't know why either. I'm trying to figure it out. I think uh, we talked a little bit about it before the show. And Dave asked, is it because you're worried it will anchor future salary? And that's a classic. I mean, that's why employers ask you how much you make um, because they want to know, is is it if it's lower than what they want to pay, then they can adjust their their range down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of it. Part of it, I think, is like, I don't know, maybe I'm worried that people will think I don't deserve it somehow, or I don't know. And, and some of it is just um, not not wanting to sound like I'm showing off, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I make an enormous amount of money, but I, I, I don't know. My I grew up in a home that didn't talk very much about money for, for not wanting to appear snooty. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I feel like I've kind of... I've kind of taken that. I'm, I'm yeah. carrying that baggage still. Yeah. And you're not ready to set that baggage down. That's okay. It's okay. I like it, that baggage. <laughs> it's comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> what I will do is share all the private information everyone gave me publicly. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if I have anything else to say about that. It makes yeah. me uncomfortable to yeah, share I- publicly, but I would share privately with people that I knew. Who are interested in it? No pressure. Desire to no help pressure them. at all. I feel like it could help. I mean, I yeah, it could help more people if it were public. But I would have less control over it, mm-hmm. and I don't want to make that trade off. I see. You're very deliberate in how you think about these things. I'm very deliberate in how I talk about them. <laughs> 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 so let's talk just just for a moment about uh, why you, it might be a good idea not to disclose your salary especially when you're negotiating for a new job. What do you think about that? Sure. And the reason yeah. I want to mention this is I recently had an experience where I was coaching someone who was negotiating uh, through a new job and um, they asked me like, hey, should I tell my new salary at the beginning of the whole process? Or like they asked for salary history, should I give it? And I said, you know, I would avoid that. I would push that off as far as I can or, you know, during the interview process. And they did, pushed it off. And then at the end, this person realized they had signed a non-disclosure agreement of their salary with their company. Um, And I don't know how that came about or what, but they literally were not allowed to share their salary with the prospective employer. And it worked great for them because the, the, (laughs) the new employer did not have an anchor reference. And I'm telling you, as an employer, the way that I pick salaries a lot of times to try to get someone to join my company is I will take their current salary and I will increase it by the amount that I think I need to in order to get them to come join my company. And, you know, it's a very private thing and it's it's one-on-one and individual and everybody has their own number. Um, but if I don't have that anchor point, I just have to pay them what I think is a strong, compelling market rate, which actually I think is a better system. But um, you can, you know, you don't have to do that. So anyway, this person got a phenomenal raise. I mean, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it was on the order of 50 or 60% increase to be Whoa. able to join this new company. Um, and I believe that it was in big part because they didn't have to disclose their salary up front. Sure. 
I mean, I think the the reason you do it is because you feel uncomfortable. Someone's asking you a question and in an interview, your job is to answer questions really well. And then they kind of like switch up what kind of question they're asking really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here traversing this binary search tree and suddenly we're talking about salary history. <laughs> <laughs> now just insert your salary <laughs> into the tree and then rebalance it. <laughs> <laughs> real quick here's yeah it's got a range of values put yours in there <laughs> you can just sneak up on them like that yeah i have only once seen a bad outcome from someone asking for too much money personally it might have happened more in a but new in a new job offer situation yeah so there was a candidate who was kind of um they they were on the fence about whether the company wanted to hire them or not. And they got, the company decided to end up making them an offer. The candidate countered with a much higher number. Like as a percentage, what, what percentage roughly? Oh, I don't know. It was like 30% or something. So 30% higher than the original offer. Yeah, it, it was, it was a lot. That's substantial. Um, and, and, and the answer was like, well, <laughs> we don't want you anymore. Ooh. So, so the offer was rescinded, but I say that because that's, I feel like that's an uncommon case. Like that's always the fear that I have when I'm negotiating. If I say a too high of a number, then they'll just reject me completely. But I don't think it happens that often. And it's never happened to me personally. And I've only seen it happen once. And by the time the offer comes to you in paper form, negotiation is done. Like you missed the opportunity to negotiate. You need to work that out verbally well before that oh, really? hits the paper. I think so because at that point it's gone through approvals and now you're going to make if you're going to if you try to counter with something higher, you're going to make that manager have to go back to the chain of approvals that they had to get the first time and get a new higher offer and that makes the manager not look good. So well, what if, if you just don't talk salary until they give you an offer? Then you miss what, the what opportunity you, to negotiate. In my what opinion. if you cuz you don't want to say your salary. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You don't want to anchor their estimate. So so they ask you how much you want and you say you need to I, come up with a number you tell at that me. point. No, you need to okay. come up with a number at that point. Like you can't not say any numbers at all. That's not negotiating. But and then just wait for them to come up with a number. Yeah, because then they get to anchor it. Now, if you can anchor it where you want it, I think that's a much better way to start it. So you anchor it with a number you want and that you think is reasonable and you can do a little groundwork to figure out what a range reasonable range is. Like ask us what our salaries are <laughs> in public. Or, you know, try to figure out there's there's Glassdoor and there's other stuff. But yeah, start there. Verbally work out a number that makes sense for you and them and then get the paper offer. But if you wait to the paper offer, it's it makes it much harder to, to negotiate. Yeah. For the manager. Mm. It's a pain and they're, they're going to resist a little harder. Interesting. Well, I feel like we've we've talked about salaries yeah. in an interesting way. I feel like we've wandered afield from the question. Yeah, a little bit. I feel uncomfortable, so I don't want to say my numbers yeah, publicly. Yeah. I think Jameson, <laughs> I don't have I don't have another and, answer. And just like Jameson, I'm not willing to share any numbers more recent than seven years ago either. So, and uh, I think we are victims of the same system that has made it taboo in the first place to talk about. What do you mean? I mean the very reason that so few people talk about their salaries. We are victims of that same reason, right? Even though we can't put our finger on it exactly what it is, it's just not comfortable. Yeah. I was a I was a, a research assistant and I made thirteen dollars an hour on campus. <laughs> Probably a pretty good on campus job. Yeah, that was that was one of the higher paying on campus jobs. Mm-hmm. That's more than I'm large in my on campus job. Well, we gotta adjust it for inflation. 
I think I made like 10 bucks an hour on my on-campus job. Oh man, you made way more than I did then. Oh really? <laughs> Inflation adjusted. Yeah. Oh, huh. Okay. Well, have we answered the question yeah. as much as we are comfortable <laughs> <Yes>. answering it? <laughs> question if, answered. if you're really interested, um, you, you can send me a message and we can talk more. But yeah, I don't think I want to do it publicly. That's cool. Cool. Question answered. All right. I will read our next question. Uh, just a warning. This question is about using offensive language at work. So it has an offensive word in it. We'll just say it when reading the question and then, and then refer to it afterwards. Okay. Long time listener, first time caller. Love the show. I work as an engineer at a small startup of nine people. Occasionally a word I find really offensive, retarded in a derogatory usage, gets thrown around, most often by my boss, the CTO. As you can imagine, he's the person that I have my weekly one-on-ones with. I've tried ignoring it, but it gets really under my skin, and I think it makes for a less welcoming work environment. I'm not sure how to address the problem without a really awkward conversation and without being perceived as the PC police. Any suggestions? Oh, Tough one. Yeah. I do have one suggestion, though, which is uh, I have curated a list of Shakespearean offensive words that you can use uh, that are no longer <laughs> that are no longer offensive, but that you could suggest your boss use these instead. So okay. I'm just going to run down this list, all right? Yeah. Okay. Elf skin. <laughs> huh. Dried neat's tongue. <laughs> okay <laughs> bull's pizzle okay that's the first one i think i know what it means <laughs> <laughs> i have no i actually don't know but i'm not sure <laughs> stockfish i like that one dang this These stockfish are... software <laughs> what were you gonna say oh nothing i was gonna say nothing i want i'm waiting with bated breath to see what you come up with next <laughs> it's just a typical lily livered response from you <laughs> <laughs> okay that one i definitely know what it means <laughs> well, that's what the first mean? one i know for sure it's it's just like coward i think when you hook because your liver is white i'm assuming well, lily refers to white yeah i guess <laughs> or maybe it's made of flowers this was probably super offensive like 500 years ago <laughs> yeah and the last one is no the, sorry the last two thine face is not worth sunburning <laughs> okay <laughs> and poisonous bunchbacked toad which i, I really like that one the bunchbacked yeah is that a species of toad or just like <laughs> an aesthetic of toad? I'm going to go with aesthetic and definitely applicable to software. Yeah, for sure. So elf skin, elves are, are like beautiful and graceful in modern day. Just, I mean, you say elf and all I think of is Orlando Bloom. Right. Com- um, and he's gorgeous. got good skin. <laughs> but maybe that didn't used to be the case. Maybe there's been some advances in skincare technology for elves. <laughs> They are immortal, so they eventually learn how to take care of it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Once you get old enough, you stop getting zits. Someday I'll get there. (laughs) Huh. Okay. Yeah, I can just see you stand up and say, like, you bulls pizzle. This is the most lily-livered idea I've ever heard. (laughs) Oh, man. So... First of all, I think you are in the right. I think this is a term that has no place in the workplace. Mm-hmm. There, there are some terms that people find offensive that have historical meaning in tech. Uh, a thing I think of a lot is used to talk about master and slave databases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people realized like people were slaves and it might not make them feel great to talk about that. 
Um, so people talk about primary and secondary now, mm, but, uh, yeah. but mm-hmm. at least you used to say this without thinking it was bad and it meant something technically. Uh, sure. and, and I think well-meaning people decide, you know what, it's not worth it. We can change the term to something that means the same that won't offend people. Mm-hmm. But this word doesn't, there's not a real technical use for it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't enrich the technical discussion in any way. Right. <laughs> it's, it's basically only, the, the only upside to using it is this person doesn't have to change which word they use. Right. <laughs> That's a low bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think your argument is pretty strong in favor of changing. Plus, I think that society is on your side here. And even celebrities have made little videos that you can find on YouTube that say this word is bad to use in this context. Okay. <laughs> and if, if your boss doesn't believe celebrities, then, you know, all hope is lost. <laughs> How do you win any technical arguments if your boss doesn't believe celebrities? I know. <laughs> How do you appeal to authority? <laughs> That's right. Listen, I saw Tom Cruise hack into that computer in Mission Impossible <laughs> 2. Well, what, what should this... Okay, so we've agreed, not good. What should this person do about it? Well, have you ever been in a situation where you uh, wanted someone to stop using a word? I have, actually. I've been in a very similar situation. Different word, um, but similar in all the other ways. It was my boss. Uh, he, he used it. It didn't add anything technically. It just just a word he used that made me uncomfortable. Um, so I've talked before about these heart-to-heart group retrospectives we had at, at my last job, where the whole team sits in a circle and gives feedback on everybody. It's very open and kind of raw and... and vulnerable and i chose that form to tell my boss that this word he used made me uncomfortable <laughs> and i'd like him to stop and because he's awesome and and very kind and and uh good at receiving feedback he received it well but that's wow. probably not <laughs> the best way to do it <laughs> so was that in like front of awkward, an audience yeah like totally awkward city when you're like oh so it was so awkward so first <laughs> yeah question asker says i don't want an awkward conversation too bad. <laughs> this is an awkward conversation. <laughs> it's way more awkward in front of a group of other people <laughs> who, who all conveniently look down and fiddle with their pens and make, <laughs> yeah. make weird grunts. And yeah, very awkward. Uh, it turned out well in this case because of the, the kind of person my boss is, but there are much better ways to do it. Which are what? E- even bigger audience or what? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Call them out on Twitter. That usually works. Yeah, yeah, start the mob. An engineer called out his boss on using a sensitive word. You'll never guess what happened next. Yeah, he got fired by his boss. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think the right approach is to recognize that someone is probably going to get defensive when you bring this up and you need to defuse that as much as possible. So storming in and attacking them and saying, you use this word, which is bad, so you are bad, mm-hmm. and I don't want to work for a bad person. And just, just the, there's a lot of feelings that could get caught up in this that you want to avoid bringing up in your boss. Um, yes. As much as possible, you want to let them save face. You want to let them have an easy out. You, you want to make it clear that this will make the team better. You're not attacking them. You're just trying to make things work more smoothly um, and, and just yes. diffuse the situation as much as, as, much as possible. So I just, I was just, as you were telling that advice, which I think is great, as usual, I had this visual of Star Trek, and bear with me <laughs> for okay. just a moment. But you know, sure. the Enterprise is flying along, minding its own business, and yeah. a Klingon bird of prey swoops in. What's the first thing that the captain does? 
He yells, red alert, shields up, right? And yes, that's, that's, you got to make sure you're not the Klingon bird of prey when you come into these situations. You need okay, to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to be yeah. the unarmed science vessel where the enterprise captain is like, let's, let's send a team to help, <laughs> you know, like no shields, yep. there's no red alert, there's no phasers being warmed up. Um, huh. cause that's what happens on the other side of these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you can connect with your boss over this instead of attack him, that's that's the key. I really like that metaphor. No, no Klingon war vessel attacking. That's right. Um, that I mean, that can be a valid approach in some situations, but not usually these one-on-one interpersonal things. Exactly. But I do agree that you should do this one-on-one. I think hopefully you already thought of that, unlike <laughs> yep. unlike Jameson. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And how do you start a conversation like this without it becoming aggressive? I'm just thinking about awkward conversations I have with my wife. And the ones that go better are ones where I talk about my feelings. I feel this way when this happens, not you do this wrong. Mm -hmm. So I I think Mm -hmm. my instinct would be to say, when you use this word, it's, I don't know, it it makes me feel uncomfortable because. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And no one can, no one can argue with you about the way you feel when they say things. I mean, some people will try to make you feel like your, your response is invalid. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't feel that way, but it's a, it's much harder to argue about how you feel than it is to argue about whether something is right or wrong. So rather than making a, like an absolute statement about the rightness or wrongness of this, of using this term instead, just describe how you feel. And I think if you have a narrative here that would be great especially if this Mm. is a particularly meaningful word to you because you have someone you care about um in your life who is would be the brunt of this word in other contexts Um, yeah you know maybe you had a friend or a sibling or or someone who uh has been called this word before you know you can you can call that narrative out with your boss and um i think that will go a really good I think it will go really well, smoothly, and um, it's just something you can't argue with, right? It's not going to put your boss on the defensive. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it from your boss's perspective, and and it can feel challenging sometimes to to hear that this thing that you thought was no big deal right. is is considered wrong now, and right. and an instinct can be to fight back against that and just think I can say whatever I want, and it's your fault for thinking it's bad. Like I don't mm-hmm. think it's bad, so I'm going to keep saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I think that's the path you go down if someone gets defensive, if, if you come on as the Klingon attack vessel. And, and be prepared to walk away as well. If you can see that your boss is going like, no, no, I absolutely am going to keep saying this and it's not wrong. You know, at that point you might want to say, well, all right, it's not worth having this fight. Depending on how strongly you feel about this, right? Like, are you willing to say, quit this job over this or not? Um, yeah. you might just want to be like, all right, you know, different strokes, different folks, whatever. And, and off you go. Yeah. Uh, so I would make that decision before you enter the room. <laughs> so yeah. you, you know how you're going to respond before it happens. I, I think even if it goes pretty well, there will be some lingering awkwardness for a little while. Maybe sure. maybe your boss slips up after you talk about it and then he looks over at you and, and like, what do you do then? Or I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, Just be sure to have your disappointed face ready at all moments. <laughs> or an air horn. <laughs> <laughs> If sales can sound off the air horn when they make a sale, you can sound it off when your boss says a word you don't like. <laughs> like deadline. Honk. <laughs> um, but I, I think 
to me, this, this change makes for a more respectful workplace. And that is a workplace that I would feel more comfortable in. So I think it's worth a, a little bit of discomfort yeah. to make a change for the better, even if there might be a little bit of a rocky transition period. Yeah. Also, one, one more thing to think about. We didn't get a lot of info about who the question asker is. A lot of people in software, though, are, are white males who are traditionally not very discriminated against. And if, if you are this kind of person, it's a lot easier for you to bring up these kind of things than, than someone who looks different from you. I think you have a little bit more power to change things and maybe a little bit more responsibility to because the likelihood for negative repercussions is a little bit smaller for you. Hmm. Interesting. It doesn't make it any easier necessarily, but but bad things are less likely to happen to you. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about with this question? Uh, just make sure your your boss isn't a uh, poisonous bunch back toad before you go in there. Because <laughs> if he is, <laughs> you might or walk out with else scared. If, if things go bad, so you, you can start off by offering this list of alternatives. <laughs> you can also use them offensively mm-hmm. if things go real bad. And mm-hmm. oh, if you convince him that these are offensive enough, maybe he will just use these instead. <laughs> if the goal is to be offensive, to be unpolitically correct, then yeah, just got to convince him. Get other people in on it. You, you let oh. one of these phrases slip and everyone else gasps. <laughs> and then I was going to say you get HR to talk to you, but you're a startup, so you don't have HR. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> Great clearly idea. this will help. <laughs> oh, yeah. How could it not? Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this question? Nope. I think the question has been answered. Where could people go if they want to ask a question and have a curated list of Shakespearean insults provided as a response? <laughs> they, unless they are... Elf skinned bulls pizzles can go to <laughs> softskills.audio. It's our website. There's a button on there. Ask a question. You just click that and uh, throw us either a question or your best ancient insult. <laughs> you could spill the bounds of English as well. It doesn't have to be in English. For sure. For sure. We wouldn't understand it. But actually, I play video games online, so I know a lot of Russian swear words. <laughs> um, <laughs> but besides that, I'll learn new words. <laughs> great uh yeah please send us your questions we'd be happy to happy to hear them yep thanks very much if you like the podcast please rate it and tell your friends and enemies to subscribe yes tell even that lily-livered poisonous bunchback toad <laughs> all right something thanks. for them too catch you next week <laughs> bye